Hello and welcome to What the Focaccia with me, Bettina Campolucci-Bordi and me, Nikki Webster. Our podcast is all about sharing our passion for the things we eat, good food and the people behind it. We are delighted to announce that this season is sponsored by Stonely Wines. Their premium wines come all the way from Marlborough, New Zealand. It is made from 100% sustainably sourced grapes and are vegan certified. And we have a unique discount code for our listeners. You can get 20% off Stonely Sauvignon Blanc exclusively on Amazon using the code STONELY20. Today's guest is Julius, who is a London-based filmmaker, food content creator and slow food ambassador who originally hailed from Germany. His passion for artisanal cheddar making led him to the UK where he studied and filmed the craft. This journey sparked his interest in the broader pursuit of supporting all the ecosystems around food to achieve better food. During the COVID pandemic, Julius shifted his focus to food, hosting online sourdough baking classes under the name Baking Hermann, in reference to the German sourdough starter named Hermann. He subsequently worked as a food stylist for Jamie Oliver for over a year and now creates and shares his own food content on Instagram and TikTok under the handle Hermann. Julius is now on a plant-based diet and believes that everything we eat has an impact on nature. He explores the importance of local, seasonal and natural flavours in promoting a more biodiverse food culture. Hi Julius, so lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining our fifth season of our podcast, What the Focaccia. Hi there, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be a guest. Um, Yeah, can't wait to chat. Oh, me too. I'm really looking forward to it. Really, really lovely to meet you. But ha- first of all, how have you been? Is everything good? Yeah, everything is really well. It's um, it's all over the place at the moment. I'm in the midst of like finding slash having found a new flat to move because I've been kicked out of my old flat. Um, no. So oh, that's, no. that's, that's a little pressure added um, since I work from home. Um, but yeah, it's fun. I'm, I've been testing lots of recipes. I actually learned something new the other day, which uh, which might be really useful to everyone who works with turmeric every now and then. Um, I, yeah, the tip. I testing, yeah, the tip. <laughs> yeah, check it straight in. Um, I was testing turmeric shots. You know, when you blend up like loads of like turmeric, ginger, oranges in the in the blender, and obviously it came out super yellow. The entire blender was stained. And mm. I usually always avoid it because of exactly that. So I know I know the risk, but um, sort of every rest of the uh, research I found, they said just chuck it in and we'll be fine. Wasn't fine. It was bright yellow. <laughs> Tried everything to get it out, but um, the one thing that actually helped the hack. Um, was to put it by the window near the sun. Really? Yes, Honestly, I know yeah. about this hack. You'd put it direct it? sunlight, and it disappears. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, yes. over, over like one or two days, and the UV light of the sun just sort of cancelled it all out, and I no spot left. So I'm super happy to. Have That's a good my one. Discovery of last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it's really really great. good. Um, for How those of you. Yeah. yeah, we've been great. Um, we've we've just come back from Turkey. Uh, we oh, just yeah. did a press trip and it was amazing. It's definitely, wow. we went to this place called Cappadocia and yeah. it's where all the hot air balloons are and it's a world UNESCO heritage site and the food was amazing. Yeah, uh, it was a, we had a very, very schedule tight trip. They kind of squeezed in as much as possible. Oh God! So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, just, yeah, it was, it was tight, you know. But it um, was tight, but, it, but yeah. incredible. It was very, very oh, good. It, it's like it's a proper bucket list destination. Actually, I've kind of re-fallen in love with Turkey. Um, it's nice. I loved oh, perfect. it. Perfect. Yeah, I really want to go. So it's good to have a spot to yeah. aim for. Definitely. Yes, nice definitely. one. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, for those of you who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, God, here we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where to begin? Yeah, I mean, you know what? I'm actually still, it sounds really strange, but I'm still in, in, in search for the right job title of what I actually do at the moment. But um, I guess, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm a content, I'm a food content creator. It's probably what puts, what, yeah, it's the best description of it. Um, I started this around three years ago, but before that I actually studied film. So I had an interest in storytelling. And I think um, I just was quite honest with me at some point and said, well, maybe fiction film isn't the right direction. I don't think I was very talented at that part. Um, But I still had interest in film and food. So I thought, okay, maybe I can combine the two. Did a documentary about um, cheese. And that was sort of my way into the food world. 
Um, and then, yeah, a little background. So I, after, after leaving uni, I then worked um, on a couple of TV productions. So still going the TV route, but uh, merged into like Jamie Oliver um, productions. So I was working on the pier um, in South End, which was yes. a crazy experience. Because yeah. yeah. all the equipment and all the food has to be carried on the little train oh my to the gosh. end of the pier. Um, so that was that was bonkers, but it was really fun and um, it's such a lovely team. So I just fell in love with food even more and um, was really lucky to make a switch to the food team, um, which is when it, like my, my passion for re food really kicked off. So from then on, um, sort of focused on food and um, yeah, started the channel during lockdown and yeah, from, went from there. <laughs> so that's me in a, in a nutshell. So that's amazing. So it sounds like it's sort of, you know, quite a fast journey from kind of like three years ago to starting to change focus a little bit from purely film to sort of food food styling with JV and then food content. It's gone crazy. Everything happened so quickly. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, th I feel like once I made a certain decision to focus on food, everything went the right direction. And before that, I was sort of like lost and like, where, where do I actually want to go? Um, but it's like often like that, isn't it? When you, when you focus on something, you, it, it seems to fall into place more than before. <laughs> When it's, the yeah. right th when, when it's the right thing yeah absolutely yeah, yeah exactly yeah that's true yeah. yeah and you make yeah you you pressure yourself or you push yourself to do more in that field because there's so much passion behind it so that helped a lot oh, amazing um so you you're a food influencer who influences you in terms of oh, your God. content <laughs> you have special people that you look up to or do you have any genres i know that you're your content is very educational. So where do you find your inspiration from? Um, so at the moment, I think, um, well, maybe maybe going back a little bit, I think, you know what? There's this BBC show called Two Greedy Italians. I don't know if you, mm, you know, I know Antonio Coluccio yeah. and Gennaro Contaldo traveling through Italy. Yeah. It was one of the first like food programs I, I watched from start to finish. And it's, it just did like, it just, gave me this passion for Italy. I just really wanted to go and like live there almost um, and, and follow their footsteps. And starting there, I just really consumed all the kind of food content I could watch. So then obviously Jamie Oliver, uh, Anthony Bourdain. And um, so those, I think, were a lot of influences just because of, you know, it wasn't only cooking. It was so much education and culture and background around that because he actually went with them on a journey. Um, so I think that were definitely influences. I think at the moment, the biggest influence is actually um, it sounds really strange, maybe it's, but it's the street vendors in certain cultures, you know, it's the nonas mm. in Italy. It's the, um, it's the ones that cook traditional dishes from a certain culture. So most of the time at the moment, when I try to research food, I end up on like some recipe that has been jotted down. Like it's a picture of like a notebook in a different, in a foreign language. And that's the one where you really find the nuggets and where you think, okay, there's a, that, that's where I can learn from and, um, be inspired by. And, um, yeah, it's actually, it ends up being being the people that are not very public in terms of um like a celebrity status but um the, the ones that drive the local culture and the food there that's it that's that's so fascinating um so what's your process how do you go about finding those little nuggets of um of <laughs> the best recipe from this unknown person um so it's like you know when you have a blank paper and you don't know where to start and that was a lot with food it was a little bit like that for me and then obviously i decided to go vegan a year ago and that sort of narrowed it down and for some reason the more you narrow it down the easier it becomes to find ideas i find mm. um so i then narrowed it down even further into what i call vegan cultures on my channel which is basically the idea is to just you know there's so much plant-based food around the world that is really exciting and that happens that isn't adapted in a certain way to make it vegan. It just happens to be out of poverty or maybe out of religious beliefs. It's just the kind of food that is eaten there at that moment. Um, usually happens to be seasonal, usually happens to be with local ingredients. So it's like, it's good for the planet. It's probably good for the body. Um, maybe not the deep fried things. There's a lot of deep fried and mm -hmm. vegan, but um, other than that, it's, it's very colorful. It's very rich and it's very nourishing. Um, so once I sort of honed in on that, it's quite, you, I mean, you just start making lists and everything you read, you just add to that list. So the list becomes endless. So um, I then like read articles about Chinese vegan food. And suddenly you read about the Buddhist temples in China or in Japan, and you learn about all those dishes that are served there and that they recreate. And um, yeah, that's, that's basically the process is to just consume sort of articles, books, shows, YouTube episodes, and just see what is the food in that culture. 
And then when it actually comes to cooking that dish, I think there's a real um, need to take a lot of attention to do it justice. Mm. So then I, um, it's, it's like just diving into research and just doing a couple of hours of um, watching, you know, like food documentaries in their culture and hoping that somebody cooks that dish and you see like, okay, well, how do they actually treat it? What, 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 what makes it special? Um, it's like buying cookbooks from, from those cultures and just, again, like finding those dishes and then taking it home and experimenting and seeing like what, what, what doesn't work, what works. And then by the end of it, you have your own recipe pretty much anyway. So you don't have to change much because there's so much, so many different influences um, that make it quite easy to adapt it into something of your own. Yeah, I t- yeah, I totally get it. I mean, I, I mean, I think me and Bettina are kind of the same in terms of, you know, our focus on plant-based food and the, yeah. the food that we really love are very much so the things that are kind of like naturally vegan. People have been eating for yeah. years and yeah. years that, you know, the focus is on, you know, healthy, seasonal, cost-effective ingredients, but given so much care and attention that they taste amazing. Yeah, exactly. So I tend to become quite obsessed with flavours. And I I don't know if this is the same process with you, but when I I do lots of recipe development, there's there's a lot of different flavours going on. But when I come home or when I cook for my family, it's usually quite simple. Um, and I'll hone in on certain, um, flavors and then become quite obsessive with them until I get really sick of eating and eating them. And then I'll (laughs) move on to the next thing. Um, or when things are in season, I'll eat quite a lot of those things until, you know, when you sort of, when it's strawberry season, you eat lots of strawberries, et cetera. Now we're coming into asparagus season. What's your favorite meals to cook at home when you don't have to think about recipe development or anything like that? Oh, the comfort food. Um, I think, you know what, it's, it's probably just a really good pasta. I just love, I love, yes. pasta. It's, it's just, you know what, it's, um, it's, it's like such a standard answer, but um, there's so much joy in eating pasta that is, um, you know, that comes with a really rich sauce. So I think my go-to is at the moment is pasta alla norma. Um, the roasted good a good basic simple tomato sauce um a couple of herbs and 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 you're off it's just like that's that's pretty much when you know when there's no inspiration or no time and you just you want to know what you're eating that day it's pasta la norma for me what's yours what's yours patina at the moment um i don't know i feel like just from just from being in turkey this last weekend oh yeah and that and actually before Turkey, I spent a month in Bali for work. I always find so much inspiration in terms of the variety of food. Um, and it just inspires me to eat more greens, eat more, just a bigger sort of selection of food. Because sometimes we can get into that rut where it's like a one dish. But actually, I'm now inspired to do several dishes and then kind of mix and match. Oh. Like, a, yeah, that's so, better to spread the whole table filled with that colourful food. Exactly. Or kind of cook a little bit more in bulk so that there's more available in my fridge. Because I quite like having a shoot loot fridge after <laughs> recipe testing so that you can kind of combine different flavours for at least two to three meals ahead. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. So going from, it's still simple, but just having a little bit more variation. Um, mm. And I'm really into salads at the moment. So massive salad at dinner time with a meal so it's almost like yeah that's that's what I've been into for the last few weeks like a lot of greens (laughs) because I feel like in the UK we're not very good at eating greens with each meal um yeah that's so inspiring just pinpointing that well when I was in Bali I would order a side of greens with almost every meal and you just feel a lot better and then it kind of, and then you come back here and it's, you've just not in the same habit. So that I've been focusing on that and loving it and feeling great. So that's what I find quite inspiring about a lot of foreign cultures is the balance, you know, there's yes, like, exactly. you have so many, so many different elements. And that's why it's sometimes quite hard to recreate that at home because it's not just one dish. You exactly. have like, you have that, you have that one plate and that's like, um, roasted or stewed veg with like a really aromatic sauce, but then you have like a carp next to that again, like exactly. spiced up in a certain way. Um, yeah, so exciting. And Turkey is a really good example of that. 
Yeah, but I, I just, I mean, I, I'm all about the layering. You know, you have to have, oh, you know, your yes. base, and then I, you know, I like to have at least five things on top and on the side. Yes, yeah. You've got to have some crunch, haven't you? I think textures. Yeah, yeah exactly. textures. <laughs> I think that's really important in plant-based food in general, having textures. So, um, I run a retreat chef academy where I teach people how to become retreat chefs, and there's three things that I reiterate during the week, and that's a uh, uh, a crunch, a dollop, and a drizzle. And if you've got yeah. three of those things <laughs> on a plate, it's like happy days. You're off. I love that. It's, yeah. 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 That's brilliant. It's a perfect lesson. Exactly. It's yeah. Nice. So, can I ask a little bit more about your social channels? You've got such a sort of like beautiful, distinctive style. Um, <laughs> did, did you have a Did you have a kind of a vision when you started of, because you're a filmmaker of, of how it was going to look? Or has it evolved over time? I hope it evolved over time because when I look back, it's like, oh God, what was I up to? But um, <laughs> you know what? It was. It actually started as a job application, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. I was applying for a social media job that sort of was asking in the application to create a TikTok video. And TikTok was quite new at that time. Um, so there wasn't much known about it, I guess. Um, and for the application, I just did like loads of research and spent hours and hours on TikTok and food content and just absorbed it all. And I guess when you like see all these different videos that were doing well at that time, you ask yourself, okay, how can I turn that into something that's inspired by all of that, but still my own. Um, so I just tried something out and applied for the job and then um, had that video laying around uh, and uploaded it and it did quite well and then just sort of kept going from there. So I think it's like a mix of what I saw then and the, the, my first experience of TikTok and then um, you know, like some of the things that reappear in my videos, like there's something in the beginning, there's something in the end that's in every video. So that's something I noticed instantly being on TikTok. I saw a lot of creators sort of trying to give the audience something they can expect every time. Um, mm -hmm. So that's where they, that came from, for example. And then um, the rest is like, you're so, you're so often forced into a certain style as well, because... Um, you know, I shoot on that with natural daylight, so there's um, there's only certain angles and stuff that I can do, and I, I'm I'm dependent on you know when the when the sun is actually up in the sky, so I don't work a lot with lights. Um, so that always determines subconsciously how the shots are going to look and where you're going to mm -hmm. place the camera. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. and, and, and shoot, shooting yourself itself is quite challenging, isn't it? I mean, Bettina's really got, got a team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh god, it's funny. It's like I'm shooting on the phone, and like um, because the back lens of the camera is, is obviously better. You like there's a cable running to a laptop, which is standing next to it. So you always check the shot on the laptop, yeah. and then you pretend you're talking to the camera. It's like it's, it's a bit of a hassle, and then reaching around to actually play record on the screen, which is obviously facing the other side. But it's yeah, I mean you get used to it quite quickly, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, that sounds very professional, and I guess very you're, <laughs> you're, you're <laughs> professional. I said, <laughs> so I guess your filmmaking skills have come in really, really, um, really useful. Um, I've been following you for a while, and it was before you decided to turn uh, plant-based or All right. or vegan. So, I guess. My question is, why why the change? And would you call yourself plant-based or vegan? So two questions in one. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, I'll answer the second one first, and then I think I'll dive into a longer story. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I think, yeah, I think there's, um, I think there's this divide at the moment with plant-based and vegan. I think um, I would call myself plant-based just because not necessarily, not saying that I'm not vegan in my diet I am but um, there's so many things that you might not know about that maybe are not entirely vegan like you know some people don't know about certain products involving like even sugar apparently white sugar has is, is um, you know involves animal bones to mm. actually bleaching it or to whitening it I didn't know that until like a long time ago so what maybe I'm eating lots of things at the moment where like there's some sort of animal pro uh, product involved anyway mm. so yeah plant-based I think is um, sort of gives you for some reason a little bit more leeway yeah. um also like you know when i um i have a certain product at home that might have leather in, in clothing like a belt or like shoes um that i'm not gonna throw away at the moment yeah um so i start finding my balance there um obviously not buying them new but yeah so plant basis i think is a safer choice um and i feel i feel always quite resistant to a lot of the stereotypes attached to vegan um i think there's like when you say vegan there's instantly you like have a stamp on your head and people like judge you a certain way and i'm quite 
I'm always quite worried about that in a conversation, um, especially speaking to chefs. So when you're in a new restaurant, you say like, oh, if they judge me as a stereotypical vegan, they think I don't have a certain appreciation for their food, which is, it's a very personal, like, sort of struggle, mm. I think. Um, to jump into the second question. So it's, that was a bit of a journey. I think it started right after so when i started when i filmed the documentary about cheese and it was the idea was to really show a craft product from start to finish we spent six days on a dairy farm um looking at like you know starting from the soil so it's not it doesn't mm. start with the cows it starts with the herbalase that grows on that um, piece of land and then the cows grazing it and then you know the milk not being treated so it's raw and that going being turned into cheese and the medical uh, the um, labor that actually goes into that and the the bark part of the artisan and you know then aging in a in a cave or um in the in the in the cellar it's all these processes that are involved to make a single piece of cheese it gives you so much appreciation for that mm -hmm. food so when you buy it next time you there's no way you're going to look at it the same way you know um so i think that sort of applied to everything after that um so all the food i was buying was sort of taking more care to do a little bit of research where is it actually coming from you know from veg to cheese to meat um so it started with not buying meat in larger stores anymore and like trying to source out the butcher where where it's a bit transparent where it comes from um and that then ultimately translated to so if i'm eating meat i actually i might have to do justice to the whole animal because i can't just always eat you know a prime cut because mm. that, how is that sustainable right what, what happens to the rest so maybe i should start looking in like offal or intestines more so there was this one quiet um transformative moment in my kitchen i think where i um acquired an ox heart and um, i saw that yeah i think that that is right towards the end um of the meat heavy recipe yeah. um which which definitely had an impact i think just because uh, so the ox heart came whole um and it's very graphic i'm sorry but it's like it is you you just have a massive organ in front of you and obviously mm -hmm. i've never seen a human heart in real mm -hmm. life but you sort of have an idea of what it looks like and it looks so similar um, and you have to fill it in, and you cut out all, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into more, mm. so many details, but yeah. it's quite, um, it's quite graphic and quite visible what you're handling. And it just seems very close to what humans have in their body. And you think, well, you know, if we have like a similar heart, a similar organ, we have similar eyes, we have similar ears. And it's like all these questions came up. And I think it was also at a time where I was confronted a lot by the fact that am i eating for pleasure or am i actually eating for you know what am i what am i eating meat for i think my honest answer was that most of the time i was eating meat just because of, of the sensory pleasure um i never really considered the ethics of it you know that that sensory pleasure that 10 minutes of joy the joy was very big don't get me wrong i really loved eating all these different parts and i probably still do really appreciate those, those flavors but it really wasn't necessarily worth it for me to take that life. I think the only reason why I did it was, and I think the Oxford has a big part in that. Um, the only reason why I found that acceptable was because I didn't have the animal in front of me. You know, yeah. I wasn't involved in the process of actually taking the life. It was just done by something else. It was outsourced. So it's fine for me to buy that piece of meat. I'm not attached to it um, and then cook it at home. So that was a bit of the journey. And then I just, yeah, I sort of made the decision to go plant-based um, and still had all these values that I wanted to apply to that, you know, so still carrying where does it come from. And there's so many pro uh, products in plant-based cooking that um, are maybe produced in a faster way that are not great for the environment. So sure. it's again, it's not just going plant-based is not the not necessarily the answer and just makes it everything acceptable. You know, yeah. I think the one premise across everything is that everything affects nature. And um, yeah. that's sort of the mentality that I've taken on since and had had already before. Um, but that, yeah, that was a journey towards plant-based diet. So actually that, that kind of heart, that was, you think that was a pivotal moment? Oh. And after that, that was, it's kind of, no, I can't do it. Um, it's, it's a, I think that was a physical experience as a yeah. pivotal moment. Yeah. I think there was a, it's a, the whole decision was a product of like a year or two. So it's drifting towards that. Um, and I think uh, the big question that actually then where I just really couldn't answer in another way than, well, no, basically is, um, am I eating meat for anything else than a sensory pleasure? And is it really worth it? I think that was the yeah wake up call because I, I came across that on social media. Somebody asked that and I, I, 
I asked it myself and I thought, well, you know what? I think, yes, nutritionally, there's maybe an advantage to having access to a good protein source. But other than, I, I can work around that. I can put in the effort to actually find other sources and still make it local, hopefully. So it's, it's more sustainable. Um, but yeah, it's, I think that question together with that experience was for the two pivotal moments. Mm, yeah, I, I, I love what you stand for in terms of the um, sustainability aspect and, and the fact that everything has a price, whether it's uh, plant-based or not. And I think that is, we talk about that a lot, don't we, Nikki, in terms yeah, yeah. Of, of, of sourcing. And I think the misconception that just by being vegan or plant-based, that's it. You're, you've made a choice and you're saving the world. I think um, that's where the edu edu education comes in. And it's great to have creators that talk about these things and, you know, put educational content out there in terms of making better choices. Um, because it's much more complicated than it's not black on black and white. It's uh, so true. Yeah. It's a very murky gray zone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think, um, I, I believe that, you know, a few years ago, I think it was people were seeing it in a little bit more of a black and white way is, you know, you're yeah. choosing plant based and it's automatically going to be more sustainable, more, you know, uh, better for the environment. Of course, there's no you know animals involved in it. But I think people actually are realizing now that, you know, because the markets evolve so much, that's clearly not the case. So I think things yeah. are, are changing and, and the awareness is building. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and, and I think when we we started out, um, it was seen as a fad and it was just sort of this thing where a bandwagon that lots of people jumped on board and lots of brands and stuff. But I think we, we know that plant-based is here to stay. Um, and yeah. what, do you, what do you think will be the future of plant-based food? I Yeah, so um, I think that's just, like you just said, it's like that belief that veganism is a fad is still, you know, the question that you get quite often when you say, oh, I'm, I've turned vegan, especially in the beginning or plant-based, it's like, oh, how long is it going to last? You know, like, <laughs> oh, it's a week thing. And then like, yeah. oh, it's a two weeks, maybe a month. Um, I guess what what's the motivation ultimately? You know, it's going to decide how long it lasts. And also, I really think that your the perspective that you had on food before really makes an impact as well and the difference. Um, but I think there's this big divide or this big gap where there's, the vegan diet that involves a lot of processed food because it's led by like larger corporations that sort of fill supermarket shelves and they're very ahead of the consumer at the moment because they see a huge opportunity and they just think okay let's let's saturate the market with loads of products because people are looking for vegan products but i think the education is lacking a little bit of what people should maybe be eating on that diet yeah. and i think there's a very exciting other side to that gap whereas um it's a more natural approach where people wake up to the importance of maybe a vegan diet but apply that more locally and see okay what's actually around us what how can we make it work with the resources that we have without involved too much machinery processes or like um extractions of protein you know like every like so many vegan products that are on the shelves have like some sort of protein extract and the question is always how much protein or how much of that vegetable how many peas how many um how, how many legumes do you need to extract the protein to make that product yeah uh, it's one that always gets me but i think um i think so i think that's like the more natural approach and it's um i think it's super exciting and um the big question is how do you make it work in countries like the uk um because it's not that easy to grow protein other than animal protein but there's so many exciting i think people are jumping on that as well um there's this company hot meat which i'm sure you know of course um, we love yeah it's like, yeah yeah and I'm, I'm just such a fan because they they sort of fill that um that gap on that side and they offer you know so many sources that are just natural protein sources and you can make so many interesting things and that's where all other cultures come in then you can be inspired by another culture but then actually find those resources locally yeah so you're not only making something that's more sustainable because you don't have the carbon footprint but you're actually still making something very nutritious and you're not dependent on um, somebody else like making it for you yeah and i cool. and i think there's such a, a big sort of movement and push now towards you know beans and pulses as a as a, as a future food and yeah, yeah and then absolutely you know companies um like hot dogs are making huge strides in terms of making that available in the uk and i think that's going to become so much more important in the future but also the yeah. cool thing about legumes is um sorry i'm interrupting you 
No, not no, at all. No, you <laughs> don't. <laughs> I just it's, like, it's so much fun that you by what you're eating you're sort of voting for sustainability, right? Like legumes are dry, like they store nitrogen, they um they fix soil health, they um they're like natural pest controls, and so, like so basically by eating legumes or integrating them in your diet, you're allowing farmers to grow them. And I think that's yeah. so inspiring that every time you eat, you can vote for something. Yeah, um, because you know it's all demand based, isn't it? Like if if we yeah. don't eat them, who's gonna grow them? Because there's no market for it. So everybody should try to source locally grown legumes and I'm sure it's going to make a little bit of an impact. And they're delicious. Yeah. They're, delicious. they're delicious. Yeah, exactly. That, that, to, on top of that, yeah. They need to be cooked well. I, I, I think one of the things with the UK, um, I, I lived in Spain for many, many years and um, just buying sort of jarred legumes in Spain, you can kind of eat them out of the jar. Yeah. Whereas I find that sometimes in restaurants or in food and beverage outlets here in the UK, they sometimes don't cook beans properly so that there's still a little bit of a bite to them. Um, so I think that from an educational point of view, anyone that's listening, cook your legumes <laughs> properly, please. Yeah. But people, They're but, nice, soft and squishy. Yeah, but people don't know. And I think that's kind of our job, isn't it? Yes, exactly. But, that's so, like, <laughs> yeah. but also from what you mentioned, like from a producer side of things, we need these people here to make yes. these products. And I think like bold beans is actually like a little yeah. bit inspired by the they're Spanish amazing. market. So yeah. they, do, they're, they're actually, that's a perfect example of somebody who's taking on that yeah. culture or that, you know, what's available there and bringing it here. Exactly. Um, but there's so many other products that that applies to um, and all these amazing things like fermentation, preservation, like, oh, you know, we just need more products that involve plants. Whereas in the UK it's often um, done around animal based products at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Absolutely. just, oh, but just <laughs> going go back to previous previous point, it, it's kind of, in the in UK, it kind of is a bit a bit of a challenge because so many people don't even cook from scratch, do they? Yeah. You know, you know, just, you know, people can be very inspired by online content and think, wow, that looks delicious. I'd love to try that. But what they're actually doing in their home isn't necessarily that. So it's it's kind of a leap, isn't it? It's sort of easy for us to say, okay, well, you know, first of all, you need to be sourcing really well and then you need to and, and then you need to be, you know, eating specific things. But for someone, you know, just when they're, you know, haven't got a huge budget and they haven't got much time, what would you, what would you suggest? Oh, that's the, <laughs> it's probably the biggest question, isn't it? It's, <laughs> yeah. That's so difficult because it's so true. Like the one, the big argument is always it's either time or money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it sounds so privileged to say what I'm saying now, but I really think that we shift the priorities to how we approach food. You know, like to money the the quick answer is that most of the best food in the world comes from like poverty you know like cucina povera um, in italy is um has created so many amazing italian dishes it's like there's a whole repertoire there to be inspired by but the problem with that is and the problem also with a lot of vegan food is especially because there's not that many producers here yet to um, make these products is it's very time intensive you know there's not that many shortcuts that are healthy um to allow us to cook these dishes quickly so that's what i mean with um to like priorities is that we maybe have to look at what the food we're eating and taking a little bit more time aside um and i think that's just a very honest reflection for everyone like is there is there any wiggle room um if i don't have the time because i'm working full time and maybe like a lot of people have two jobs um is there any chance that there's like a, a space in an afternoon in the weekend where you can batch cook you know there's like all these ways around um uh, you probably got a freezer so you can fill that up with loads of healthy cocoa, uh, home cooked food and um, eat from that during the week. So I think there's always a solution. It's just the willingness and the um, motivation to actually make it work. Um, but yeah, it is. It, yeah, of course, it takes the education again. And it's um, I think, yeah, people need to be open to it and need to sort of be hungry for making it work. Um, that's that's probably where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> Do you I have mean... the answer. No. <laughs> oh God! I was hoping no. like let's let's fix it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. I think I, I think all of that is it's it's rings rings really true. And I think um, Nikki and I have the same ethos when it comes to sort of cooking from scratch. I think and and that's getting a veg box delivery every week, and that ticks off uh, a few boxes. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, you, you eat seasonally. You're supporting a farmer. 
and it also makes you cook from scratch and being quite inventive and it also makes you cook with ingredients that you normally might not buy yeah. uh, you know the perfect example is like celeriac and sweet and all of these kind of root vegetables that you get yeah. in, in the uk <laughs> in the winter it's going to get more exciting i think my 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 favorite season is sort of spring coming into summer it's uh yeah it's the season awesome. of good things to come <laughs> bounty of nature exactly um so i think yeah everything that you said rings really true and and including what we think in terms of um yeah getting a veg box is is a good step forward but yeah, that, that's yeah. such a good tip um what comes to mind instantly is uh tim Spector, who always recommends to eat 30 different plants a week and it sounds so frightening because 30, like, how can I eat 30 plants? But it, it even mm. includes, um, it includes legumes, it includes spices. Yeah. Um, but to, about the veg box, it's just um, the more or the more diverse you eat, the better for your gut. So it's yeah. so, so great to try different products and to sort of, by ordering the veg box, being pushed towards doing yeah. it. So yeah, um, there's, yeah there's only win-win. Yeah, just yeah. make sure make sure it's a seasonal one though, so you do actually get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really seasonal. Oh, God. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I wanted to ask you whether you had any thoughts about sort of ingredients or foods that were sort of up and coming or that were going to be more popular in the future. Oh, interesting. I think um, I mean there's this, just because I'm so involved with that process at the moment. Again, I think we can be really inspired by other cultures, and what I mean with that is. There's so much in other cultures, there's so much fermentation going on, so much preservation. Um, one easy, really easy example is miso. Why, you know, and the basis of it is our soybeans and thyme. Um, so isn't there a way to maybe localize that? And then that could mm -hmm. be the base of a lot of flavor for plant-based dishes here in the UK. Because as we said earlier, hot meat is growing beans. So what do we need to make miso? Is there, is there a way to, for example, be make like a British and um, Japanese inspired miso here in the UK uh, with local products. And that applies to so many things. You then have soy sauce, you have like gochujaru, gochujang, all these other products that are out there. Um, just look at how they are made and then hopefully like inspiring producers here to try it out and give it a go. Um, yeah, so I think it's a mix of those like those condiments and shelf st uh, staples that we buy from other cultures at the moment to just like be more creative with what's around us and then um, turning that into local flavors. But I think it's a really long mm -hmm. process to also get customers excited about trying them and to like, you know, how cost efficient is it? And all these questions then come in, but um, that's something that I, I'm hopeful for in the future. I think that will happen, but yeah, I don't think it's gonna happen yeah. tomorrow. No, definitely not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in the process for sure. Um, Speaking about something completely different, uh, Nikki and I visited a, a slow food restaurant in Cappadocia awesome. this uh, last weekend. And actually, it was one of our favorite places to eat. Oh, yeah. So you are an ambassador for Slow Food UK. So tell us a little bit more about that. And for those who don't know what the slow food movement is, um, give us a little intro. Just about the note of the restaurant, it's like, um, it's one of the best ways to travel, to follow slow food. Yes, um, so good. They actually, um, so they're based, so slow food is, an, is a grassroots organization that is um, originally from Italy. So their strongest sort of representation is in Italy, but they're actually pretty much all around the world, from Mexico to Japan. They've um, got local uh, representation pretty much everywhere. And it's, as the name suggests, it's sort of pushing um, food that has been grown slowly in the sense that it's um, in tune with nature. Um, often, very often it preserves um, varieties of, it's, it's not entirely plant-based, so it preserves methods, varieties of plants to, um, to even breeds of animals that are at the risk of going extinct. So it mm -hmm. um, cherishes and, and supports producers who you know, work with certain lentil varieties that you, in a supermarket, you would never get them because they're not commercially, you can grow them easily commercially and um, put them on the, on the shelf. Um, but they are often a really essential part of like a local environment um, and grow in a certain part of Italy, let's say, because of exactly that climate. So if that would go away, you would miss a huge part of the biodiversity driver over there. So you need these producers to keep it going. And Slow Food is doing God's work in that sense because they are, enabling these producers to um, stay on top of it. You know, a lot of them are really small scale family run businesses that are struggling to actually keep going. 
because they're fighting the big organizations. So Slow Food is coming in and giving them like a platform and supporting their products and going on to annual fairs. And um, every second year, there's a huge Terra Madre event in uh, Turin in Italy where everybody should once go to. It's bonkers. You see like all these producers coming together from all over the world. And you'll see, um, you'll see legumes you've never seen, fruit varieties you've never seen, grains you've never heard of. Um, they'll serve a lot of the food there. So it's, it's a really cool organization. And um, yeah, it's so much fun to follow them around. They have a book actually, um, and I forgot the name, but they have got a book with all the slow food restaurants in Italy. And that's wow. a really fun one when you, yeah, when you travel through Italy, like it's, it's got a map and it's got like a register. So you just pick your city and you see which slow food restaurant it's there. And it just Amazing. means that the restaurant that's, um, that you'll find um, will support these growers and sources the ingredients from there and cooks traditional Italian dishes. Um, so that mentality is behind the organization and they apply it all over the world. Um, yeah, really, really cool. I love them so much. Oh, Amazing. that's inspiring. I need to do a I need to do an Italian trip. That sounds good. Yeah, exactly. Hey. That's like that's the best way to get yeah. <laughs> we are in yeah. June. Fingers crossed. Oh there we yeah. go. Yeah. Oh you need you need a copy of that book. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we do definitely. Actually. Yeah. So changing the topic slightly, but <laughs> I just wanted to get onto wine. Are you a fan or no? Well, definitely a fan you know what i'm actually an absolute novice i'm really i'm it's why i'm one of those people that like i try to be i am interested and i try to act um, as if i know what i'm doing but i still have very minimal knowledge about wine um maybe you can give me a few tips well um uh, well you wanted to well you of course being you know plant-based you know that yeah. some wines are vegan some wines are not um is yeah. that is that important for you if you were in a novice, it choosing uh your wine even if you don't yeah. know so much about it. <laughs> That's, you know, exactly like we said earlier, there's so many things that people might not know or are aware of um, that they are not necessarily plant-based or vegan. Um, I think wine is a good example where it's like sort of people are more on it now and more yeah. um, becoming more aware. Um, but I actually, you know, I sometimes like in a restaurant, I don't, I forget to ask or like, am I like, it's, it's difficult because you honor with a group of people, you ordered your food, you already had a whole conversation with the waiter, like what's actually vegan on the menu, yeah. <laughs> like make your adjustment. <laughs> and then it comes to the, you're ordering wine and like, oh God, here we go. Am I going to do the whole conversation again? And yeah. also you're sharing a bottle with everyone. And mm. it's, it's, it's difficult. So if I, um, if I go to a shop and I buy wine, definitely um, I, I'll try to look at, like, it doesn't say that it's vegan and plant-based, how is it produced? And again, it, like with everything we eat or consume or wear or um buy uh quality matters you know if, sure. it's, if it's cheaply produced um yeah. somebody's gonna pay the price um so yeah that's i think my focus on wine is at the moment to try to see that there's some sort of story behind it um cherish those who try to push vegan wine as something that's natural and um not not uh, meddled with too much and yeah but um <laughs> Other than that, there's unfortunately not much knowledge about actually how to sample the perfect wine and um, be a, a good wine connoisseur. Oh, I mean, it's just, it's this. Well, I mean, there's it's so in depth, isn't it? We had some incredible wines yeah. in uh, in Turkey actually, and you know, and again, they're not yeah. typically known for their their wine so much. But um, it's it's all it's like trial and error, like everything, isn't it? It's all just you know, try, see what you like. And there's also, I think, a little bit of snobbery around wine, where, whereas yeah. really you True. just kind yeah. of go with what you like. If it's as long yes. as you know, and it doesn't need to be expensive. Actually, that's the other thing. Um, yeah, you can you can get very sort of well priced, good sourced wine. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, but it's knowing well, where to get it from, isn't it, Bettina? Well, that's <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, and also I think the other thing as well is that uh, there are a lot of incredible wine producing countries that haven't had the uh, exposure. Um, for mm. example, again, going back to Turkey, they produce wine. I have got Bulgarian heritage and the wines in Bulgaria are absolutely incredible. Um, and they're slowly, slowly trickling into sort of the, um, the, the UK market Yeah, um, and, and all these other countries, you know, that just have this incredible heritage and tradition of, of, of creating good wines, but just don't have the market space um like other countries do true yeah i've seen more and more eastern european wines pop up which is really yes. interesting and a lot of the methods i've um used over there to make wine because they're like in a similar climate i guess to us here um i've heard like them being sort of adapted to locally made wine 
Um, not an example of that, but I went to, uh, there's a really cool vineyard um, called Fillingham. Um, again, mm. I'm sure you probably, yeah, you're aware. Um, and that's just, um, it's again, fascinating. Like one of the countries I wouldn't think of as a wine producer is of course, UK, not of course, but is, is the UK. And yeah. they're sort of well. like bursting um, or busting that myth. Um, and it's a slow process again, because there's so much involved in making it work properly. Um, and they started a couple of few years ago. Um, but yeah, very exciting to see it all happening. Definitely. So, um, must ask because of your, you know, incredible whirlwind of uh, of um, social media success. What have you got planned? What's next? What's next? Oh God, I think um, I'm always like, I question myself because I'm preaching from my kitchen. I really want to get out of the kitchen and to um, to actually be amongst or to be immersed in that culture. So I think I, I'm, I'm hopeful that um, the next step will be to actually travel to these countries and explore the food there to learn way more about it and not just do research from a laptop. You know, um, of course, I've been, you know, I've been to I've been to Asia, I've been to a couple of countries that I cook from. But I feel like there's so much, I wasn't vegan at that time. There's so much that I'm inspired by that I really want to witness and see. And I want to meet the producers and I want to meet these people on the, um, the street vendors and see how they cook these dishes. Uh, so hopefully, fingers crossed, that's next for this year, um, starting late summer or summer. Oh, Amazing. Perfect. Um, we're nearing towards the end of our chat and um, we usually finish things off with asking a question, which I really, I love this question actually, because you learn so much. <laughs> and uh -oh. that is, uh, uh, what's one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever been given? Um, so I think... Um, it's it's an interesting one. I think it all comes... I wouldn't be able to put it down until somebody has given it to me in that way. I think it's sort of condensed into something that yeah. I learned over, over several lessons, I guess. Um, and it all comes down to one thing, which is factual entertainment. Sounds really weird. Mm. But I think um, mm. a lot of the things that I... that made or led me to appreciate food and a lot of things in life is by just consuming a lot of content. Mm -hmm. And that can be books, podcasts, like we're doing now, um, um, Netflix. But I think the element that's quite important there is that it has some sort of educational element. Um, mm -hmm. And that's hence factual entertainment. So you're watching mm -hmm. something for fun, but you're actually learning something doing it. Um, and to actually maybe make it more, to put it into something um, actionable, um, let's, say it's, let's, let's say it's reading, watching, and listening. Um, so one book that really inspired me recently is um, Wilding by Isabella yeah. Tree. Yeah. Um, it just gives you such an appreciation for how nature, how complex nature is from soil to, to sky. It's incredible. It's such a good read. Um, it's about a, well, basically the process of rewilding a, um, an estate in the UK. Yeah. And it's absolutely magical how they turn it from a um, less diverse um, place, a uh, piece of land into something that's absolutely thriving where part of the tourism comes from bird watchers because there's such rare species of birds that are nesting there. And yeah, wonderful, a wonderful read um, to watch. I recently watched my biggest little farm. That's great. Like, it's so mm. cool, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, so watching that is again, it's like an example of um, they start with soil where nothing can grow in. It's like a desert peak in California and suddenly it bursts into light. Well, not suddenly over the course yeah. of eight years, yeah. they transform it into an oasis uh, where they grow all their food, they're self-sustaining all the, it's a farm so they're also selling obviously but all the um all the problems are solved with nature so everything mm, that comes yeah. up it's not an easy quick chemical fix it's uh, how can we fix this with nature and often it's that a link is missing in the in the um ecosystem and they yeah. reintroduce that link and suddenly it makes the whole thing thrive and, and sometimes cool. it was by accident wasn't it it's kind of like okay this just kind of this actually something sort of came in and kind of resolved the yeah. issue Oh yeah, my favorite yeah. example are the um, the the slugs on the trees yeah. that are eating away the leaves and the fruits, and they, th there's no solution inside. They really they tried everything, but they don't know what to do. But near near to the um, orchard is a um, is a lake, and there's nothing really going on in the lake. So they reintroduce ducks to the lake to sort of rewrive the lake, and the ducks come into the orchard and eat all of the slugs. Yep, as like <laughs> problem fix, and you've yeah. got a lake that's yeah. really beautiful with clean water. It's mm. it's so cool. 
Um, sorry for the spoiler for those who, <laughs> who don't have to watch it. But uh, yeah, really good watch. Um, and to listen, obviously, the podcast we're doing now is uh, such a great source of inspiration. Um, I think if you're looking for a podcast outside of food as well, because I think that's something that it doesn't have to do with food. It's like the more you learn, it sort of somehow connects at the end. Um, there's a podcast by Dr. Chatterjee. I don't know if you know that one. Feel yes. better, live more. Yeah, he's so, great. Um, it's so cool because it's um, he speaks to loads of experts across the health um, system. So you'll learn something you wouldn't never you would never pick up a book on that topic because you just don't really know about it. But you always learn something new about the human mind, the human body, the human gut, um, nature, the impact of light on our mood. It's every time a new lesson so it's those that's probably the best advice that sort of um where people gave me recommendations recommendations to listen watch and read these things something stuck and it changed the way i look at um at pretty much everything in life oh, oh that's really inspiring that. oh great oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love awesome. that very very cool um thank you so much for your time and so many golden nuggets of wisdom there and we'll be we'll be following along and um wishing you the best of luck with everything i think you're doing amazing things very very inspiring oh thank you so much and likewise i can't wait to see what you're up to next and um to see some of the inspiration you had in turkey come across on your platform it's coming yeah <laughs> definitely i bet <laughs> no doubt <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much, Julius. Thanks for your time, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to What the Catcher. I hope you enjoyed our food conversations and please do have a listen to the rest of the episodes to hear more brilliant stories about everything and anything to do with food. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Stonely Wines, premium wine from Marlborough, New Zealand. It is made from 100% sustainably sourced grapes and is vegan certified. And use our exclusive discount code for 20% off Stonely Sauvignon Blanc exclusively on Amazon using the code STONELY20. And please do give us a five-star rating if you've enjoyed the podcast. It really does help to spread the word. And if you want to follow Bettina and myself, you can find us on Instagram at Bettina's Kitchen and Rebel Recipes. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back soon.